everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Mark of Athena. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm I'm doing just fine. I'm perusing my shelf currently, trying to decide um, which Gumpla to fiddle with while we're recording, which one will make like the least noise. The answer is none of them. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. I shouldn't. Actually, you know what I should be doing right now is I just realized that my the summaries are on my other laptop, which is in my bag on the other side of the room. So I'll be right back. Listeners who do podcasts, and if you if you're if you're not the one who primarily edits the podcast, the best thing to fiddle with, or the best thing to tap at, or the best just like thing to jostle around while recording is nothing. Don't type on your little keyboard. Don't do that. Don't, if you need to play with something, make it be something that is squishy, but not too squishy. Well, I didn't hear any of that, so I'm back and I've got my laptop and also the high grade one 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 forty four uh, Grimgird from Iron Blooded Orphans. <laughs> oh, and this is why the podcast garage exists. <laughs> uh, one one day I will do all the things that Brian recommended doing in that thing that I was on. It's fine. We we have our own little unique way of doing a podcast. <laughs> it's part of our charm i hope yeah 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 we have so many charming little things about us uh the fact that my pop filter seemingly just doesn't work anymore oh no uh, the the fact that uh our intro our the fact that our ad on other shows uh has the background music just a little bit too loud <laughs> and so yeah we just have a lot we have a lot of little quirks like this and one of our other quirks is that we like to uh summarize books for you yeah, so that uh, you don't have to read them, which, again, I assume the majority of you don't. If you do, then uh, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and tell us that you do. If you uh, don't... If you don't, rate us one star. Wait, no! <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, also rate us five stars, because we're helping fill in the gaps for you. Also, if you if you leave a five-star review, we will read it on the podcast. Anyway, you want to hit us with a summary, Shane? I would like to hit you with some summaries. Ow! That's what you get for telling me I can't play with a gunpla while recording. <laughs> uh. Chapter 13, Percy. Percy is having a nightmare about drowning. Turns out that falling into that weird mud quicksand in Alaska is somehow even more traumatic for him than the telepathic suffocation negotiations were for Hazel, and he's now developed a fear of suffocating, even though he knows that he can't put, that can't possibly happen in water. Thankfully, the nightmare soon becomes a classic Percy exposition dream, where he sees the giant twins, Ephialtus and Otis, preparing a trap for the demigod's arrival. They mention something about a mysterious co-conspirator who doesn't want a certain statue moved, and then exit stage left, allowing Percy to see inside the bronze jar at the centre of this trap. It turns out that Nico has been trapped in there and is in a death-like meditation to conserve oxygen until the Seven can rescue him. Percy wakes up and finds Annabeth standing over him. They go for a walk, avoiding Coach Hedge's surveillance, and sit in the Pegasus stables that Leo has built in the, into the back of the Argo 2, which reminds them both of the shitty circus truck they took to Las Vegas. They chat about the history together, and Percy works up the nerve to ask Annabeth what she'd think about possibly living in Camp Jupiter with him in the future. She's surprised, but potentially open to the idea, although she points out that they'll need to avoid another inter-camp war first. This brings them onto the subject of that war, and Percy tells her about his dreams, he also mentions that he hasn't seen Poseidon since the end of Last Olympian, over a year ago now. Annabeth has, unfortunately, seen her mum recently, though, and while she doesn't tell Percy everything about that exchange or the accompanying nightmares, she does mention that Athena called her a failure. They both decide that this is too grim for a nice night on a magic boat, so they instead just lie together until they both fall to sleep. Chapter 14, Percy. Frank walks in on the pair of them the next morning and is mortified, Firstly, because the rest of the crew couldn't find Percy or Annabeth in their cabins, and they've been freaking out, assuming they've been kidnapped. Second, he assumes they were fucking. Percy and Annabeth hurriedly assure him that wasn't the case before reaching a screaming session from Coach Hedge, and getting down to forming a battle plan now that the Argo 2 is nearing Atlanta. Percy tells the gang about his nightmare, and Leo and Jason both instantly start casting doubts about Nico's loyalty. After all, he knew about both camps, and was going between them without mentioning that to either side. This is not appreciated by Hazel, whose brother is suffocating in a jar as they debate whether to save him, so she storms out. 
Frank is freaking out about this, so Percy proposes that the pair of them go to Atlanta to try and find Forkus, the sea god son of Gaia they've, been, they've come in search of. He's midway through inviting Annabeth when Coach Hedge interjects and invites himself, telling Annabeth that she's grounded because she snuck out of bed. Chapter 15. The Argo 2 lands just outside of Atlanta, and Coach Hedge remarks that the hill they're on is the same one where Union General Sherman, a son of Ares, stood when he put Atlanta to the torch during the American Civil War. They catch a ride into the city and decide to look for Forkus at the city aquarium, since it's the only salt water in Atlanta. They're met at the gates by a woman whose name tag reads Kate, who accepts Roman Denaro to give the quote-unquote VIPs, literally just meaning demigods, the deluxe tour experience. The trio are suspicious of Kate, especially because Coach Hedge immediately twigs her as non-human, but they have no choice but to follow her since they don't have any mortal money to get the aquarium another way. After thoroughly looting the gift shop, Kate leads them into a big central display area, with a bunch of cruelly mistreated sea monsters and naiads heavily sedated and put on display for the Monster Donut Presents Death in the Deep Seas exhibit. Forkus emerges and starts the show, which is pretty shitty because all the sea creatures are too heavily sedated to do any tricks, and Kate reveals herself to be his sister, Keto, the goddess of sea animals and sea monsters. She takes Coach Hedge off to info dump about more sea monsters, as he's fascinated by them, while Frank and Percy try to pry some useful information out of Forkus. It turns out that Ephialtus and Otis are his brothers, and together form Gaia's anti-Dionysus slash Barkus, and use the same sort of shitty party tricks as Forkus in an attempt to outdo him and humiliate him by making his revels look shitty. Forkus also mentioned that Gaia has put out a bounty on the Seven, and that he doesn't see the point in that, since they'll die long before they find the map in Charleston anyway. This vague comment about a map is the only useful information they can glean before he insists on continuing their VIP tour. Chapter 16, Percy. Forkus leads the pair into a huge underwater tunnel, and Percy tries to keep his newfound ho- but I almost said homophobia. <laughs> no. Percy leads the pair into a huge underwater tunnel, and Percy tries to keep his newfound hydrophobia of drowning under control. Forkus springs his sudden yet inevitable betrayal, intending not only to collect on the bounty for the demigods, but keep Percy and Frank, two descendants of Poseidon, in his aquarium forever, battling it out as his best exhibit. He bails and lets the tunnel they're in collapse, leaving Percy and Frank trapped in a huge tank of water. Percy manages to keep himself just about under control, and Frank turns into a giant koi fish, so neither are in imminent danger of drowning. The pair search fruitlessly for a way out before they spot Keto still leading Coach Hedge around through one of the display windows. They manage to get Hedge's attention, and he kicks Keto in the head to stun her, and then rushes over to help Percy and Frank break the glass and escape the tank. They do so, with the help of, and I quote directly from the text here, Coach Hedge's Chuck Norris roundhouse kick, and flee the aquarium as alarms blare around them. So, Jacqueline, what do you think of the chapters this week? Okay, they they were pretty good. You know how last week, remember the week before, we were like, wow, these are definitely like a synthesis. This is a this is a synthesis of like what Heroes of Olympus and Percy Jackson and the Olympians together can become. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were saying that about the uh, Leo chapters. That's right. Uh this feels similarly to me, but it's not quite as good. This is like what like this is like lost hero level encounter like combined with a lightning thief level encounter yeah and i i feel like i i get what you mean i feel like it's like a good lost hero encounter this is like um the weather guy yeah yeah i agree with that like it's it doesn't hit for me as much as the previous chapters i think but it's also not bad at all it's it's pretty good still it's perfectly serviceable perfectly serviceable but it's, but also like more than perfectly serviceable it's, it's pretty good i yeah what did you think of them yeah, no, I basically agree. I think there's not a lot, like, themes-wise or character-wise that's particularly earth-shaking in these chapters. Well, I guess there's a lot. There's the stuff about, like, Percy's New Deal. But, like, yeah, I, th- these don't hit quite as much as, like, the, the Echo stuff or Piper freaking out because she thinks she accidentally caused a civil war. But, yeah, it's just, it's just a fun, a fun Percy Jackson random encounter. yeah. Do we want to talk about Percy straight off? I think so, yeah. This might be one of my favorite ways that a dream has been conducive to the story in, like, a while. Ooh. Because 
Percy just kind of starts by having a regular nightmare, which Mm -hmm. doesn't happen a lot in this series. And it's used here to show that he's developing just like fears and trauma. And I think it works well. Percy needs that fucking uh, marble headrest from Kane Chronicles that just blocks out all dreams. Oh, God, you're right. I forgot about that. (laughs) But yeah, he's going into his... um... He's going into his um, his Kaladin from the Stormlight Archive era, which is like he's he's been on he's been a hero for so long and been on so many cool adventures that even though they were pretty cool adventures, the PTSD is really starting to pile up. Basically, yeah, like it's interesting because Percy, we've talked a lot about Percy as sort of an unshakable pillar at some points. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of complicating that. Like, Percy is still a kid. He's a 16-year-old kid. And he's lived through a lot of just horrible stuff. And so it makes sense that he's developed this, like, the suffocation phobia. And seeing that even complicate his relationship with, um, like, his own element, that's interesting because he hasn't had a lot of reason to be afraid of water in a long time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's, like... It's also interesting as just, like, a way to nerf Percy. Uh-huh. Like, in Son of Neptune, we got, um, like, he was forced to give up the um, Mark of Achilles, or whatever that was. And that that felt very contrived. It was like, Juno made him do that because, question mark. Mm-hmm. But this, this feels like an actual in-character reason for him to be freaking out, because, like, now he's kind of in the, the Thalia situation where he's kind of afraid of his own element. And that's going to make controlling his powers a lot harder for him. Yeah. I I like this as a different way of kind of stopping him from just kind of wrecking everything he runs into. Yeah, that's true. It works for like the quote unquote balance in that way. (laughs) I also enjoy that like when it, when it comes down to it, he still has his ability, like just because of this trauma, like trauma can deeply affect you, of course. And like, fears phobias but he's still able to do it at the end of the day like he Mm -hmm. we percy has practiced he's done this a lot and even though he has this sort of anxiety that he hasn't had since like lightning thief era of like oh no what if i can't breathe water he's still able to do it he does it's not like oh no because i'm scared suddenly i can't breathe water he can he can still just do it see i i i kind of got the feeling that it might eventually turn out to be the opposite of that because he, he starts thinking, um, I think in chapter 13, like, well, if I start believing that I can drown, does that mean that I will now be able to drown? And I think that's like, that's interesting because the, I can see that being a thing because ultimately Percy draws his power from the Olympians and the Olympians do draw their strength from like belief. That's true. I guess I mean how it actually turns out here though. is that Okay, yeah. He, yeah. He's afraid of it happening, but then he's what happens is that he holds his breath for as long as he can until he can't anymore. And then he, you know, he breathes water normal. Mm-hmm. Cause he's a little fish boy. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, we get some little fish boys in here. Uh, but I see your point because, because the way that is presented, like, you know, comparing himself to like Thalia who cannot fly mm-hmm. or summon the winds or whatever, because she's scared of heights that sort of makes it feel like, Oh, Percy's onto something here. It also makes me hope that maybe Thalia will, maybe maybe we'll get some more Thalia. Thalia, Thalia being able to fly and shoot lightning would be really cool. Would be really cool, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what if she like, I don't know, she like did like a lightning bow. I don't know, that'd be that'd be cool. That would be pretty cool. I think it's fun that on this podcast we will sometimes be like, yeah, th- this is what Rick is saying about the state of Western civilization. And sometimes we'll be like, it'd be cool if this character had a lightning bow. Yeah, I mean, this is... I think that's cool of us. I completely... Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're here for, right? Like, we, we need <laughs> to be below the surface and talk about, like, what is happening with the politics of this. But we also can't just live below the surface. We also have to, like, inhabit that middle school brain space. Of like, absolutely. Of like, oh shit, cool weapon. <laughs> I also, I, I feel like we need to, we need to get this out of the way right now. Okay. We need to all put our cards on the table and agree not to make any jokes about Nico being trapped in a jar. 
yeah, no, I'll get behind that. No jokes about that. <laughs> That's fine with me. No jokes. Put put them in a, like a put them in like what what are those things like the uh the little like Mario Moss things. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know those little um. I don't, but they're they're delightful. I I think if you put him in a jar with these, that'd be fine. Like that that'd be like enrichment. Uh uh-huh. He's not. You're in- enriching the Nico. Yeah, he's not enriched right now though. He is uh eating like death pomegranates. Yeah, he is doing. He is entering a death trance and eating like one hundred calorie pomegranates, so his body doesn't like explode. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this, just because it it is just literally Batman shit. It is, it is. I remember there was an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold where Batman does this exact thing. He, like, enters, like, a near-death state to keep himself alive. Yeah, he's just trapped in a container and he's suffocating, so he, like, astrally projects and, like, possesses Green Arrow or something to come and help himself. (laughs) That show was fucking weird. That's amazing. Yeah, though, that's that's really what Batman should be doing constantly, just astrally projecting. <laughs> I, it's just cool. Like it's one of those like, oh, okay, it's fucking cool that Nico can do this. Of course he can. Uh, but like, Nico has become the character who is like the cool guy. This is true. He's like he's got the like goth aesthetic. He's like got more information than everyone else he's traveling all around the camps with his own agenda he has the cool sword that's like black but it still glows it glows like purple yeah but this does i know that you actually complained about this in my dms you said you um i think you sent me a message (laughs) saying that you like after we recorded our last episode you started reading these chapters and when you got to you got to a certain point you threw your book across the room i got to um (laughs) I got to Otis and Ephiel, whatever the fuck, talking about like, oh yeah, uh, in a few days, in like five days, they'll they'll be here and we'll kill Nico because that's the date of this thing that's important to Juno. And I thought we were introducing another time limit again. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But no, it turns out that this is this is also when they'll destroy Rome, so it's the same time limit. It's the same time limit. Yeah, it's it's just. So fine. I retract my throwing the book across the room. <laughs> In my defense, I was also very tired and very grumpy. Very fair. Very fair. <laughs> Quest for Buford comes up, like, every week. I swear to God. It it does. It, it's coming back again, it sounds like. Yeah, because um, Percy is asking Annabeth about how the ship works, and she's like, oh, I've got no fucking idea. It's just that engine that does it. And, you know, it's pretty reliable. It's only come close to exploding once. Oh shit! I didn't even clock that as like a as like a thing. But yeah, that is what that is, huh? He. Why is Quest for Buford the most important story out of that collection? I don't know, but it's so funny. Like you, you would think maybe like Son of Magic, with how it introduces like a lot of elements and like really complicates the sort of moral sphere of the world, or maybe like maybe like the Diary of Luke Castellan would be the most important because that like really casts a new light upon this character who is so integral to the first five books. And it's the first glimpse we get of Annabeth, who is like the main character of this book. But the answer is no. No, the the most important <laughs> one is the one where like Leo has to pretend to be Dionysus and <laughs> sings the psych theme song. I can't believe that. We we read that, and then the next week they cast an actor from Psych to be in the Percy Jackson Disney Plus series. It's really fucking funny. <laughs> we understand all the secrets of the required in mind. It's true. We will solve him. When Yugi Moto solved the Millennium Puzzle, he got a pharaoh in his body. What will we get when we solve the Rick Riordan Puzzle? Uh, I think I think we also get a pharaoh in our brain, and it's just Carter Kane whining at us. <laughs> like we we get to have like post Kane Chronicles Pharaoh Carter Kane. <laughs> exactly, the most boring version of that character. The one who doesn't have a plot anymore because the story's over. <laughs> well, no, no, there's still um, there's still demigods and magicians to go. Oh, you're right, you're right. Oh my, I keep forgetting how like much of a non-character Carter became by the end of that. I'm so sad. Oh, 
we can't we can't think about this. We have different characters to deal with. Uh, Leo and Frank are still at it. I. I I feel so so bad for Frank because I really liked him in the last book, and it feels like at this point his entire character is just being weirdly aggro at Leo for daring to talk to his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, and like Leo isn't Leo obviously isn't entirely innocent here, but Frank is just being such a, a douchebag. I don't know. Yeah, like that. Not a word that feels appropriate for me to use often, but like in this case, it just like feels like the most apt of scripture. I yeah, because Leo Leo mentions that thing about you know can we trust Nico? Hazel freaks out. Le- I mean, Leo didn't even realize that that was her brother for one thing. Yeah. So I don't think we can really pin that on him. Uh, and then when he's like, oh no, I'm gonna go and apologize after she runs off, Frank drops the like. I don't you think you've done enough with like his arms crossed and everything. <laughs> It's like shut the fuck up, Frank. Like, what's your moral high ground? You didn't try to. You didn't try to argue in Nico's favor. Uh, he did, to be fair. Okay, he did do that. Uh, okay, I'm cutting that. Uh, <laughs> I can't be wrong on this podcast. Sorry. If you're wrong, you'll simply remove it. That's right. That's why these episodes are only like ten minutes long. That's right. Oh, I'm always so wrong. <laughs> oh god. No. Um. Like no. Like he. He. He really is just becoming that guy in a way that I don't like. And it's really souring the character for me a little bit. Like I I, I don't I don't want Frank to be the shitty wife guy on the crew. No, I really don't because and it's kind of becoming the worst possible thing. I wonder if this is a symptom of love triangle. Uh it probably is because th- this is the exact same thing happened to Annabeth in um the first five books like whenever it was love triangle time. She started being really weirdly aggro and kind of out of character. Yeah, I wonder if this is like this is a very common role to fill in a love triangle is like jealous possessive boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I guess the interesting thing is that with Annabeth, technically they're really I mean similar to how there really isn't so far at least anything between Leo and Hazel. There really wasn't anything between Percy and and uh, uh, Rachel, and yeah, uh, like Annabeth was acting very sort of petty and possessive uh but ultimately percy stayed with her and didn't really you know kind of just move past that didn't really think about it i wonder if it'll be Mm -hmm. similar here like frank will fill that role but ultimately hazel will still have to have her perfect little romance with them i think that that is very possible because i don't i don't know i feel like it'd be really weird for her to date leo yeah (laughs) just like damn this guy who looks exactly like a guy who died 60 years ago and is a different person also i don't want to say this but i I have to say this also there's okay when it's when the relationship is shown to me like it was in the son of neptune um it doesn't feel too weird to me that like hazel and frank despite their age difference are dating when it's two mm-hmm. 16-year-olds fighting over a 13-year-old, it starts to feel weird. Wait, hang on. What? What? Is that... Is Hazel 13? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's weird. It hadn't even occurred to me, but I, I, you're right. I think she is younger than the rest of them. Uh, 13. Yep, 13. In Son of Neptune. Bro. It like okay, I like it's fine, kind of in Son of Neptune. I don't really think about it too much, but like if it, it's become weird, you know. Uh yeah, no the the vibe the vibes on that are icky. Which I guess, oh, but no, it's even I don't like I don't want to talk about this too long, but it's even worse because like it's kind of more just like Frank being like, hey, don't look at my thirteen-year-old girlfriend. Like, oh, no, yeah, no, you're right. You, you, I don't know. Oh no, this makes Frank. This makes Frank look so bad. Hey, look on the bright side. We were saying that Leo had like nosedived down our character rankings last week, and I think this is making Frank like descend even further than him. Oh, so Leo, Leo's doing all right out of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, let's talk about something else, please. Urgently. <laughs> Let's talk about a good relationship. Let's talk about Percy and Annabeth. Oh my god, I love Percy and Annabeth here. I was not a huge, like... I didn't really give a shit which way the love triangle was going to break in uh, the original um, five books. But I really like how the relationship is presented here. 
No, same. Like, I, I, you know that I genuinely very much enjoyed them, especially by the end scene of uh, Last Olympian. But That's good, yeah. I, they're so sweet here. I don't know. There's just like, I don't know. There's a, there's a kind of tenderness and vulnerability to the fact that both of them seem like they are really, really fucked up right now and have been through a lot of shit. But like they can still have this like nice, comfortable moment together just because they care about each other. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Because they're just like normal couple, kind of. Like they are just like yeah. normal, nice little couple who've like known each other for years. And it's really fun here to see like the their different kind of perspectives on the relationship because we know that Annabeth is like she explicitly says, for instance, that she had a cr- a crush on Percy almost immediately. Um, mm-hmm. But here kind of plays coy uh when percy is like oh you know how long did it take for you to like start liking me and she's like oh well the first few years i thought you i hated you then i thought you were obnoxious for a few (laughs) years and then like i eventually started to kind of like you and that's uh, i don't know it's i like that it's good i also like the um for all the fact that i kind of like the main series couple yeah they're not being treated as like star-crossed lovers who are like fated to be together and like to have nothing but boundless boundless love for one another i like that percy definitely gets has the sense that like you know i really like this girl she really likes me we're both 16 yeah like there's a possibility that this could be transient it could be she might understandably react uh a a little weirded out if i say hey do you want to live in uh, new rome together no like it's true because percy percy he just like a normal 16 year old in a relationship this intense he is like he wants to like know the entire future he wants to map it all out um mm-hmm. but he like he like you said he does also have that perspective on it like okay this is this is a relationship this isn't my whole life this isn't like everything in the world to me um and i think that's that's just like a good thing to put in a kid's book i think yeah, definitely. It it, it kind of reminds me of some of the shit that we liked about um, the Calypso chapter all the way back in Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah, where it was like the 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 narrative wasn't like passing judgment on Percy for seriously considering getting with Calypso instead. Yeah, yeah. Like it it wasn't pushing him to be with Annabeth. It's it like you know, it it accepts that like he's a person who can make more than one choice. Definitely. I I also. Can I can I offer a reading of this scene that is like <laughs> I don't know. I, I maybe it's a little bit too the curtains are blue. Uh but also sometimes <laughs> the curtains are blue for a reason, damn it. Uh, damn right. Uh the they are having a picnic on glass bottom doors, letting them see the entire like letting them see all across like what the land that they are flying over while they have this little picnic. It's a great image, first of all. Like this is a a, mm-hmm. a great idea uh, for a little little. Yeah, second. I didn't mention it in the summary, but the uh, the Pegasus cabins uh, have like these glass bomber bay doors for the Pegasi to get in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but throughout, not throughout really, but at the beginning, and it kind of hangs over this entire conversation. Uh, Annabeth mentions to Percy that like these are, like you said, bomber doors. They could just accidentally open beneath them and drop them to their deaths. Uh, and what this kind of makes me think about is the fact that, like, this is kind of representative of just, like, all of their lives. Like, even in their most, like, intimate and normal moments, there is always danger present. Yeah, like, they were having a picnic in Staff of Hermes, and then Hermes rocked up and said, hey, get my thing back from this fire-breathing monster, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also they aren't like Percy isn't freaking out about the doors. He isn't like he he accepts it pretty quickly. I think that also and also in Staff of Hermes, like you know everyone kind of goes with the flow. All that, that although that was because Percy didn't have a date planned or, or a gift or anything. <laughs> uh, but what it really signals to me is that like this level of danger they've kind of like it's kind of become normalized to them. Like they are used to always being in danger. Yeah, and again, that's just, that's what makes it so nice that they can, like, chill out with one another. Yeah, like, they can chill out while being in danger, and that's cool. Yeah. 
I also just like that um, one, once again, Percy is like getting Annabeth to explain like Greek mythology to him. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't I don't remember if we mentioned this during the Demigod Diaries episode, but like in Staff of Hermes, Percy says like, oh yeah, I figured out that I don't actually have to read anything. Annabeth will just fill me in on the important shit if, it, <laughs> if it's relevant, which I just thought was very funny. Yes. Uh, <laughs> is this, what, what did she get, what did she explain to him here? Uh, I think think it was about the uh the twin giants oh oh this actually kind of threw me a little bit because because the twin giants as described here are like it's said that they are dionysus they're they're built to counter a god specifically dionysus this was Mm -hmm. was this kind of confusing to you too or just me uh in what way was it confusing i didn't Dionysus specifically say that he was still a demigod when he fought them and killed them? Hey, yeah, he did. So what's up with that? Wait, no, I think I think it might have been that he was talking about he was a demigod during the Titan War. Oh. And then after the Titan War, he became a god. And then in the Giant War, that was when he killed them. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. I understand now. It, all, the other war with big things. All these, the, the Titan War, the Giant War, all of these words have become words that mean the same thing over time. <laughs> the Big Guy War. The Big Guy War. That makes sense in that case. What do you think of these weird Chris Angel magicians? What? The twins. Oh, right. I, you were talking about magicians, and I was like, "Fuck, are we back in Kane Chronicles again?" <laughs> no, no. I guess they're not Chris Angel magicians. They're like stunt performer magicians. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Where they're just like, yeah, they just seem to be like setting up a circus, yeah. like an actual circus. Yeah. What do you think of these guys? I, uh, they're fine. I get they have a little bit more personality than the last couple of giants, so that's something. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I a- like. I like the what. Actually, I've just realized their shtick is exactly the same as the um, the two Gorgon women who were chasing Percy at the start of Son of Neptune. Oh, the fucking, uh, like, what, they were, like, grocery store workers? Yeah, and one of them was, like, really forgetful and kind of dumb, and the other one was, like, really cruel and, like, focused on getting, getting Percy. And I feel like these two have the exact same dynamic. I feel like if we wanted to, we could identify, like, at least ten different monsters across the entire series already that have been like this. <laughs> like, the fucking, uh, death demons, the fucking hell beasts, uh, that came to attack, uh, Percy and Rachel's school were kind of like that a little bit. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's more. Probably. Ma Gasket and the Cyclopes, maybe? Oh, Yeah. And then Margasca and Polybates. Yeah. Because she went on that fucking winery tour. God, the winery tour. <laughs> uh, the gender winery. I don't know if, if, if any of you all listening can tell, but we didn't have a lot to sink our teeth into, so we're just kind of talking about bullshit. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, we should talk about <laughs> forces. Oh, wait, before we do that, very quickly, I just want to say the fact that uh, everyone assumes that Percy and Annabeth were fucking uh, and... Because uh, Hazel's from the 1940s, she's like scandalized and can't even look at them. Is extremely funny. Oh yeah, it's very good. It's like this is this is what I want from st- like stupid teenage comedy thing. Like I want the <laughs> girl from the 1940s to be like a gog. No, surely they could not have have hugged each other throughout the night. Which is how Hazel talks, of course. <laughs> yeah, she's got that like classic, that classic like um, nor- northeastern Atlantic accent from all her time living in New Orleans. Oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> God, we should start reading. We should start creating character voices and reading quotes in them. No, I can't. I, I can't imagine like if if one of us tried to like read a Coach Hedge thing in a character voice, it would be so annoying that we would lose all of the listeners instantly. That's true. This also this would have been a good bit to establish in like episode like four or five, uh, instead of episode ninety one. I <laughs> Coach Hedge really he's like a little bit better here, I guess. He came so close to actually being cool. Uh huh. With it within a hair's breadth. <laughs> Cause he he fucking he sees the kids in the fish tank 
And he does like the thing where he looks really shocked and then he gets his face under control. And then waits until um, Kito's back is turned before kicking her in the head. And I'm like, fuck yeah, finally some some cool coach head shit. Yeah, yeah. And then he does a quote-unquote Chuck Norris roundhouse kick. It's It really just sort of instantly diminishes everything. It was so close. He was so close to actually being somewhat cool. I Yeah, like that is a very... It's like hashtag cool coach hedge moments. He, he did a kick and that's certainly, I, it was not something I expected of him. Like I was surprised, I was genuinely <laughs> surprised when he was like able to like seem stoic about it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, definitely. But I think the, the narrative diminished it a little bit by saying that about him. <laughs> being compared to chuck norris truly just does not make you seem cooler especially not in today's day and age no but you know what what might be even less cool what um coach hedge directly comparing you to uh, a union general uh and thus kind of kind of accidentally confirming a thing that we've repeatedly joked about which was that during the american civil war camp half-blood was the union and uh camp jupiter was the confederacy uh, no, but wait a second. Frank is from Camp Jupiter, and he was being compared to a Union soldier. Yes, but Coach Hedge specifies that Sherman was a son of Ares. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> I see. I, I see where you're heading with this. <laughs> now that's interesting because what's his Halcyon Green? He probably. Oh, yeah. He was a son of Apollo, and he was from the South. He was from like a southern hmm. plantation, wasn't he? I don't think he was that old. I think he like aged in real time. Okay, okay, right. Okay, he's not like literally immortal. He's just surviving off of scraps. Yeah, no, he he was like eating the Snickers bars that he found in dead demigods' rucksacks. Gotcha. We didn't comment on this at the time, but he must have had. He must have been killing a lot of demigods. <laughs> <laughs> to survive like that like i really don't i have to imagine he was eating at least some of them <laughs> probably right like <laughs> there's no way that you could actually like maybe this is why all the demigods die like they're not actually <laughs> statistically that likely to like die out in the wild but there's wait no wait uh-huh. i do remember what it was uh-huh uh, which is that he didn't just kill the demigods, he would also, like, order pizzas and then feed the pizza guys to the monsters. Oh, my God. Right. Right, that's what he used his computer for, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. This book fucking ruled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to this book, though. Back to this book. Wait, oh, wait. One more thing, because that's just reminding me of another thing from that book. Okay, okay. If General Sherman was a Greek demigod, does that mean that Robert E. Lee was a Roman one? Ooh. Maybe that's why the statue was magic. Oh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, Forces and Keto. I thought it was Forcus. I don't know how Greek works. Is... Forces sounds so close to Foreskin. I don't what... know if I can call him that. That's why I made the joke last week. God, you did. <laughs> I. That's... My brain is so small and my memory is so short. That's fair. I pat you um we can call him forcus but that i'm just like oh like a fork like you eat with but that's fine i guess for for forces and yeah i'll say forces you can say forcus we can all all right yeah forces is honestly one of the better like villains we've gotten so like one of our actually maybe our one of our first villains in this entire book i think uh, apart from yeah, there was like the 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 narcissist was just kind of a dick. Yeah, like this is our first like myth more mythological sort of like being. Hmm. Uh, and he's he's a pretty frightening one. This is a this is a Rick Ryden classic. Hmm. Which is you get you get the mythological figure, and then you turn them into like a shitty salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> like we we got Procrustes and Lightning Thief. We the the bootleg watch guy from Staff of Hermes, Mad Claude from Kane Chronicles, and just it every time Rick decides I'm just gonna make this guy kind of like a skeevy used car salesman. It 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 works out. It's a banger. That's really true because they even he, 
he even does the classic of like they have a name tag on and you know it's going to be like short for something or like something weird Mm -hmm. uh i actually like the percy like recognizes this he's like oh when i meet someone with a name tag i know they're going to be a monster (laughs) (laughs) and like it's set up like the very traditional way you're like oh kate is going to be short for something like i don't know kate kate she's the staff uh but it actually like it's a twist it's a pretty good twist on the original formula and you find out that like they just spelled their names wrong (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like the fucking Bojack Horseman bit about the signs. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that Percy has figured out that he's the protagonist of like a book series. Yeah. Like he he knows he knows that if he sees a name tag, that's going to be relevant later, and he knows that because he's the protagonist, necessary exposition will be given to him. <laughs> yeah, basically, huh? <laughs> he's he's got it figured out. He's living a pretty smooth life. I I, I I'm glad for him. Apart from the hydrophobia. <laughs> That's true. Oh, no, this is a great, like, Forces opening a bub, like, a, opening a tunnel into one of the aquarium paths, being like, just follow me, and then, like, creating a fake room that is actually just a bubble. Like, that's fucked up and kind of scary. That's pretty scary. It's really good. I, yeah, Forcus is, 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 he's a good, he's a good bad guy. He's just, he's very, he's very creepy. He's very weird. I love that he can like he can also do some water manipulation, which just puts Percy in the worst possible position because his powers aren't working properly right at the moment where he's doubting them. Hmm. Yeah, because Forces is like um he's like an older water god than even uh, Poseidon. Yeah. And so, it leads to that that very good moment where Percy is like, "You can't fight me down here." Like I, I, I. I He's, what he says like the water is my element and forces is like oh what a coincidence the water is my element too like damn i like like i love that shit that's <laughs> i love like old powerful master of the same power that you have beating you at your own it's game a, it's a good trope yeah i feel like i keep just identifying tropes recently but like there's there have been some good ones we're t- truly turning into the TV tropes of Percy Jackson's podcasts. We are. We are. <laughs> oh, it's all. It's also very funny in this chapter that Percy is like outraged by all the people being kept in captivity. Mm-hmm. Like it makes sense for like the naiads and like the the whales and shit. It's very strange that he's he's like annoyed that the uh, Telkinis Telkinis. Sure. Tel whatever the fuck they are, are being kept in uh, captivity considering that he has done much, much worse to them. Is, I guess this is an ethical question. Is it worse to murder someone than it is to keep them captive forever? I guess probably, but it's hard to say. It's it's probably worse. It's also probably worse to slaughter a room full of children, which he did. He did do that. Oh my God, he did do that. It's It's been years. He, he killed half of them and then exploded the mountain they lived on. He did the fucking youngling skip. <laughs> Wait, Percy Youngling skipped onto Calypso's Island. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How could she not fall for him? Calypso, look, I'm so good at Lego Skywalker Saga speedrun strats. <laughs> look, I can kill all these kids so fast. <laughs> wow. No, no, that's the that's the key part of the speedrun strat is that the kid doesn't die, so you can just keep hitting him forever. You're right. You're right. I I guess I'm just imagining Percy like hitting one of the Telekine children with a sword over and over again until he lands <laughs> on the right island. That's how he gets back to Camp Offlet afterwards as well. <laughs> oh god, he just kept it there. <laughs> oh my lord. Okay. Frank, the the, the fact that um. Kate clearly doesn't actually work at the aquarium uh, and then takes uh, Percy and Frank to the gift shop and is like, ah, yeah, whatever, you have the VIP experience, just take what you want. And Frank is instantly in there. Yeah. Like that, 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 that's, that redeems him a little bit from his earlier shit. That's very funny. It really does. Frank, Frank's, like I said, a bit of a douche in these chapters, but he is also just like continuing to have very good moments. Like, um, his his exchange with Coach Hedge of like, 
he was a son of Ares. I, I'm a son of Mars, actually. He was an American hero. I'm sorry, I'm Canadian. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, it's incredible. Like, that's the kind of Frank, the f- Frank, like, the Frank stuff that I've come to enjoy, I guess. The, the slightly bemused, doesn't really understand what's happening, but doesn't want to piss anyone off by objecting. Uh-huh. I think there was a solid couple of uh, chapters there where uh, Keto could have become like a new uh, mascot for the podcast. Yeah. Because she she looks like a fucking dweeb. Like she's wandering around with like these these huge glasses and these like braces on despite the fact that she's like looks like she's in her late 20s. Uh but also is like kind of Kind of a huge bitch and doesn't care about anything. Legitimately, I love Keto. Like, <laughs> a, a winner character all around. An absolute winner. I love that she, like, she, she like, info dumps about all the monsters and Coach Hedge is like, fuck yes, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coach Hedge has a thing for, for monster women, for sure. This is true. It's all, It also, like, just her being like, oh, did you know that this is the only monster that feasts only on demigods? Has the same the same um, energy to me as like a Lockheed Martin employee on Twitter being like, "Ooh, I'm sorry, I'm just such a huge nerd for big weapons, like the civilian Immolator 6000." Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is so funny to me that we're doing this the same week as uh, the newest Chainsaw Man chapter came out, also, uh, which some of you may know about, but features a features one of the main characters extensively info dump- info dumping about aquariums. <laughs> uh it's there are so many beautiful coincidences in this world yeah keto is great i i really enjoyed sort of her whole bit uh i is the keto diet named after her i guess probably not i genuinely have i i've heard of that mainly because i've heard people saying like oh it's annoying when people talk about keto and yeah that's it that's all i know about it yeah pretty much same there's something called ketosis that might be the name of a Final Fantasy spell. I don't know. Maybe maybe keto is like you only eat seafood or something. That could be right. Wait, no, I think that's when you're a pescatarian. A pe- no, that's not only seafood. You, you can eat like vegetables and shit as well. I think it's when you're an Episcopalian. <laughs> what the fuck was at the end of chapter 15? Uh, you're going to have to be more specific. So Forkus uh, opens up the the water tunnel that he eventually traps them in, and what he does is he like stands sideways and like crab walks into it. Oh! And Frank look Frank looks at Percy, and Percy says, "No, nah, it's just a figure of speech, man." And then they follow him. What the fuck? I don't get that joke at all. What was he talking about? I had to reread this like seven times to get it. I. This is the weirdest, maybe just the weirdest written ending to end, like one of the weirdest written lines in any Percy Jackson book, I think, or in any Rick Riordan book. Uh-huh. Uh, so, okay, here's the exact thing that Forces says. Walk this way. Uh, Forces scuttled sideways through the tunnel. Frank scratched his head. Do we have to? He turned sideways. It's just a figure of speech, man. Percy said, come on. So, Forces says, walk this way, as in, like, walk oh. in this direction. But Frank interprets it as, walk this way, as in, like, walk like this. Um, That's so, that's so weird. That's so weirdly written. It's like a joke from an entirely different brand of book. I don't know. <laughs> like, this is, this is a very visual joke, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You need to see, like, the characters' expressions and, like, Frank actually trying to, like... I don't know. There, some this, ha- this has to be vocalized in some way for it to make sense, and I think that Rick Riordan was just not thinking about it very well. I think that this is, this is one of those things where you, like, you write it down and it makes perfect sense to you, and then someone else reads it and they got no fucking idea. Uh-huh. Except by this point, like, Rick Riordan's editors are pretty lax, probably. I would have to imagine. I mean, the, these books are like 500 pages each. Uh-huh. Which I don't know. I guess a book can be tightly edited and 500 pages maybe. But I I, I want to talk about the old lady that they yes. meet in Atlanta. 
Yes. There this is I this is so good. There's just a nice old lady who meets with them. She's like a librarian and she insists on giving them a ride wherever they need to go and like gives them some like preserves and it's just so it's sweet. I like that there are just like we barely ever see normal people in the series and I'm glad that we just got to see a nice old lady. The best the best part of that whole sequence is like um she keeps calling uh, all of them sugar, uh, except for like by by the end of it, Frank is so endeared to her that she's like she's like calling him son. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's amazing. I mean, it's like a joke about like southern hospitality or whatever, and mm-hmm. but I, the fact that we so rarely see like mortal interaction, I guess, with the characters kind of makes us stand out quite a bit. I feel like. Yeah, definitely. It kind of feels like a rest stop or like a like a like a trip home to see Percy's mom. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of does have that vibe. I'm also kind of surprised that Percy hasn't even asked if it'd be possible for them to go somewhere via New York to like see his mom and say that she, say that he's okay to her. Yeah, last time he talked to her, I mean, he didn't talk to her. He left her a voicemail, yeah. right? <laughs> He left her a voicemail saying, hey, I'm about to go fight a giant. I'm alive now, but that could change in the next couple of hours. Bye. Yeah, like, to, I guess maybe he doesn't want to, like, maybe he just would prefer she thinks he died then if he got, if he dies up ahead. But, Percy, go see your fucking mom. <laughs> Please. Take her on the quest as the new chaperone instead of Coach Hedge. God, that would be so much better. Hey, uh, so is Bargain Mart like a monster company? How so? Well, because it's it's one of the sponsors for um, Forkus's shitty like uh, display thing. Oh, you're right. Oh, we didn't mention this even. But monster Donut was brought back here too. Monster Donut is fucking back. Let's go. So excited. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, Bargain Mart. That's where the uh, the Gorgons worked, right? Yeah, they were, like, in disguise there. So I kind of assumed that it was, like, a mortal company. And I kind of love the idea that this, like, completely legitimate mortal business is just, like, they're diversifying the old portfolio and they've accidentally invested in an evil sea god. (laughs) No, that's really true. Like, I mean, this kind of brings up what I was wondering about. Like, are Forces and Keto just, like, here fucking around in this place? Or do they actually own it? Because I could see Forces like owning this entire aquarium. I could see him owning it. I also think it's funnier if he's just like a squatter in the back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that certainly makes like Keto saying that Frank can take whatever he wants funnier. <laughs> yeah, I because I feel like that that also vibes with them not owning it. Because like I feel like she would give a shit about people taking stuff from the shop for free. If, like, her paycheck depended on uh, getting money from the shop. Yeah, yeah, true. So I think they're definitely just squatting. God, she really does have such a, like... I'm just amazed. Like, like 29-year-old woman with pigtails, braces, and, like, big dorky glasses. This is really, like... (laughs) It's giving nostalgia nostalgia chick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't say these things. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to bring that into existence. Anyone remember the nostalgia chick? I wonder what happened to her. Who could say? I have I have one last thing. Okay. I, I have a whinging law nitpick. Okay. Which is that um, Percy says that he's met Persephone once in chapter 14. Okay. That's not the case. He's met her twice because they meet in Last Olympian and also in Sword of Hades from uh, Demigod Files. Oh, you're right. And I I don't particularly give a shit. I just think it's funny that in a set of chapters where like Quest for Buford comes up like twice, uh, that Rick also forgot about <laughs> the other short story. Maybe he forgot about Last Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's much funnier. I like that one. I Speaking of... Percy's trips to the underworld is it like kind of off to you that Percy's like when he talk the first thing he says when he it speaks about like oh this is my feelings on Nico is that he is like still mad about Nico trapping him on that cell 
Yeah, it feels like Nico has done something much more egregious to him much more recently. What would that be? Uh, that would be pretending that he didn't know him when they met at Camp Jupiter. Oh, yeah. You hated... <laughs> That's way worse. Yeah, it is. Like, okay, Nico... Nico's not the world's best friend. Uh, Absolutely not. <laughs> but also, it kind of undermines... Not undermines, but it kind of, like lessens what really felt like Percy's relationship with Nico in the first five books, which was like, he could not look at Nico without feeling super, super guilty. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it felt like, and, and Nico kind of had all those hangups about like, well, technically Percy killed my sister. And then like in last Olympian, they go on an adventure together to kind of show that they've, they've grown and they can see each other as friends now. Yeah. But I guess Percy, is like neutral to slightly disdainful toward Nico. Which is weird because Percy is also an asshole who tricks people all the time and is constantly betraying monsters he's made deals with. Yeah, I feel like on like I feel like Percy if we were doing like a homestuck blood swap AU, um, but instead it's like what? a <laughs> No, hang with me, okay. hang with me. But instead right. But instead it's like a like a a uh, godly parent swap at you. Um, mm-hmm. If Percy was a son of Hades, he would do this to Nico. I think. Absolutely. Like I don't know. The, the, he, I get over it. <laughs> you already like choked him out for that one, if I remember correctly. Oh God, yeah, he did. He actually fucking choked him. Was <laughs> she's like, hey. Hey, Percy, maybe that's why he didn't say that he knew you at Camp Jupiter, because he didn't want to get fucking choked again. Because the fucking blood oxygen levels cut off all his memories. <laughs> his fucking carotid got damaged. Oh my god. Uh, Percy Jackson, it's a series. It's a series of books. All about Nico D'Angelo, I guess. I guess so. Uh, but speaking of Nico D'Angelo... Let's close the lid on this one and <laughs> I'm making myself laugh today. It's very good. Thank you. I our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Insmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. You can find them on Twitter.com slash Moonshot Pods, co-host on Moonshot Network, and on Tumblr. Uh, if you want to find us, you can go to Twitter.com slash UnwiseGirls or co-host.com slash UnwiseGirls or Tumblr.com slash UnwiseGirls, where you can find various links for our personals, our email, you can find, get updates on when episodes come out and visual companions, all that good stuff. And a link to our Discord server. If you want to support us, you can go leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us. Uh, you know, just, like, be on a bus and tell someone. Tell Like, if you're sitting next to someone on the bus, poke them and say, hey, listen to my <laughs> wise girls. And Show them your phone. Yeah. Hand them your phone unlocked so that they can look at unwise girls on it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash unwisegirls where for it's the dollar a month you can get the discord role of camp counselor for three dollars a month you get the discord role of friend of Bacchus as well as all of our bonus content yep on the uh, last bonus episode we had a very interesting deep dive into the first season of uh, Survivor uh, and also discussed uh, how and where all of these Survivor contestants masturbate that's right uh, <laughs> and for five dollars a month you get the discord role of venus's chosen all of our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of every episode speaking of which this week we'd like to thank danny tana mercy veronica friend Bree, and erica thank you everyone thank you and as we always say at the end of every single episode see you next week camp half blood see you next week camp half blood bye
chew that umemoshi, baby. Chew it slowly. Done! Quit your fancy ASMR dreaming and wake up! What? We're back! Who's back? Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends, of course. Oh, never heard of it. I have. Who Who are are you? you? I'm Victoria. I'm joining Okashina Podcast as the third chair. Nani! Would everyone stop screaming? I'm glad you asked. Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends is a podcast in which two childhood besties, me, Sabrina, and you, Don, and you, Victoria, watch anime together and then discuss what we watch with restrained delight. That's three people. Mm, Sounds boring. I'm going back to bed. You can't! You'll miss all the weird, wild, under-the-radar anime we cover. I never agreed to this. It's fun! Check us out on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Insert joke.